Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now let's do something real churchy. Let's give Jesus a big hand. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. You know, this is in a lot of ways like coming home um, because Pastor Adam and Miss Jamie have really been spiritual parents to me. We've been knowing each other for 20 years now, which is uh, just an exciting journey. They were my youth pastors and they've really called the best out of me. And they've been there in those low moments in my life too. I remember when I was uh, 16 years old, um, I had this little Bible study at my school. I'll never forget Pastor Adam looking me in my eyes and says, Keith Brown, God's got a calling on your life. I want you to go into your senior year of high school and I want you to do something radical for Jesus. Don't, don't, don't live with any regrets. And so I was just crazy enough to believe him. So I went back to my high school and I said, guys, let's do something for Jesus. What would this be like if we would love Jesus? We would go after God with all of our hearts. And so a, a small group of, uh, of kids and I, we got together and we started meeting, we started praying. And by the end of that year, we had over 250 kids in the gym. Kids would run to the gym so that they could hear the word of God. Now, in some places, people get excited about kids being on fire for Jesus. This would be a good place to say amen in church. It was exciting. It was awesome. But I also remember... Um, Going through Bible college, I'm in my early 20s, and Pastor Adam and Miss Jamie hired me to be their associate youth pastor, and uh, I was ready to go change the world, but anybody ever been in their 20s? Anybody ever been in their 20s? All right, let's pray for everybody in their 20s, because the 20s are a hard season, and man, life was just kind of going kind of crazy, and I remember I had a messed up car. Anybody ever had a hoopty rolling tailpipe dragging the heat, don't work, and girl keep nagging? You know what I'm talking about? I had one of those kind of cars, and it broke down, and uh, Pastor Adam and Miss Jamie let me borrow their car, and I remember it was like on a Thursday, Pastor Adam looked at me, and he said, okay, Keith, I'm going to let you borrow my car, but whatever you do, don't wreck my car. And I looked him at him in the eye, and I said, Pastor Adam, you can count on me. Count on me through thick and thin. Friendship that will. Okay, you guys went around for that. Anyway, uh, and I said, Pastor Adam, I am not going to wreck your car. Well, the next morning, things are crazy. I wake up late. I'm going to the school to do a little Bible study, and so I'm driving crazy. And guess what happened? Say, oh, no, he didn't. Everybody say that with me. Say, oh, no, he didn't. I wrecked the car. I thought, oh, my pastor let me use this car. So I get exchanged numbers with the guy, and we, uh, you know, and I go back to the office. And a little later that morning, me and him were going to call, um, talk on the phone and start talking about our day. And so he calls me, and I says, Pastor Adam, I got some news for you. Um, it's kind of bad news. And he said, you didn't wreck my car, did you? I was like, well, kind of depends on what you mean by wreck your car. I mean, if you mean like it's kind of messed up and mango, yes. But if you mean like it's like undrivable, no. And uh, so um, I remember I told him, hey, I I wrecked your car. And he said, he said, bring it over here now. So I said, okay. So I hang up the phone. And I am, it's like a 10-minute drive from the office to, to his house, and I am driving slow. I mean, I'm driving slow. Grandmas are, like, passing me up and, and telling me I'm number one. I mean, it's crazy. And I finally get there, and I pull in, and I'm just thinking, man, this, you know, here I am trying to serve God. I'm in my 20s. I got this messed up car. Life's crazy. And I did something stupid. And I'm thinking he's going to walk out and he's just going to give me the riot act. And I deserved it. And I remember he walks out, he looks at his car, and he says, 
You know, when it rains, it pours. And he gives me the keys, and he walks back inside. And I, and I take the car back to work, and I didn't wreck it. And, and it was just one of those moments where I thought, you know, the Bible says that there's a lot of teachers, but there's not many fathers. And one of the things I love about Pastor Adam and, and Miss Jamie is that they love people, and they're committed. you got pastors who love you and who are going to help you get to the next level in your life. And, and that's, not, that's not everywhere around the country. So let's give it up for your pastors one more time. Now, since then, I haven't wrecked any more cars, but I, I got married, and I, and I had a wife, and uh, she's smoking hot. Can I get an amen from the brothers in the house? I guess that's kind of weird getting, saying an amen from my wife, but if you ain't got a wife, she's coming in Jesus' name. But anyway, um, I got a beautiful wife. I want you to show a picture of my wife. That's my wife, Jennifer Marie Brown. Uh, and then I also have four beautiful kids. Uh, we had two when we were here in uh, Cedar Hill. And then since then, we've been fruitful and multiplied, and we've had two more. So I want you to show a picture of this on the side is Benjamin. We had him when we were there. He's six now. Uh, Alana, we had her. Uh, we've been trying to teach her how to smile, but that's okay. She's coming along. That's her. And then Christian is one of the newest additions to our family. We had him while we were in uh, Southern California, which is where we're at right now. And he's two right now, and he's going to be turning three soon. Uh, He's kind of in that terrible two stage, so we're trying to get Christian to act like a Christian, so you can pray for him when you get a chance. Uh, But that's Christian. And then the last addition to our family is Delaney Grace. And I think we got a picture of Delaney Grace. That's my baby girl. Yeah, do it one more time. Go on. She's so beautiful and you know, have you ever seen somebody's baby and they wasn't that cute and, and people are like, hey, what do you think? You're like, oh, yay. So I, I, that's not my baby, but I'm just saying, I'm just trying to coach you if you ever had that situation. Um, but we got a really cool home video of Delaney Grace, and I just want to uh, show it to you real quick before I get into the message. You got some more? (laughs) So that's that's my baby girl. I had a little talk with Delaney after that, and I said, hey, Delaney, you are cute right now, and I'm so glad that you've learned, you know, to shake things and so forth. But I said, when you become a teenager, if I ever catch you twerking like that, daddy lived in Texas, and in Texas, having a gun is not a suggestion. It's a requirement. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm talking about? So anyway, uh, so, so she agreed that she's not going to be doing any twerking uh, soon. But if you got a Bible, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. This weekend, if I was to give a title to what I wanted to share with you, I would call this the amazing adventure. The amazing adventure. Because I believe that Christianity was never intended to be a dry, boring religion that was filled with impossible rules and useless routines. I've always believed that Christianity has always meant to be this dynamic relationship between you and the God of the universe. 
I believe God wants to take you on a journey. He, he wants to show you some incredible things. It's not about just going through the motion. Being a Christian is so much more than just going to church. I think that's, that's why John Eldridge, in his book, Journey of Desire, he writes this. We are made in the image of God. We carry within us the desire for our true life of intimacy and adventure. To say that we want less than that is to lie. I think what John is saying is that God, this transcendent loving God, created us with these desires, these dreams, these passions on the inside of us. And so if there's this loving God who created us that way, why would he design our relationship between him and us to be this dry, boring existence? No, it's so much more. You know, I was thinking about this in reference to one of Jesus's very first encounters with four young fishermen in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is probably in his second year of ministry, and he's been preaching to crowds of thousands. And he gets to this one point where he's got so many people follow him, and he sees these four discouraged fishermen, and he asks, can he borrow their boat? The reason he wants to do that is because they didn't have any kind of amplification during that time. So his voice could carry on the water. So he borrows their boat and he preaches. After he finished preaching, he notices that these four young men's nets are empty. And he goes up to him and he says, guys, you've been doing something that's not been working. You, you, you've been caught in this cycle of trying really hard, but you're not seeing the results that you want. You're caught in what I call the misery of the mundane. And some of you, I think you're, you're there right now. You're in a season of your life where you're trying really hard to be a good person. You're trying really hard to be a good dad. You're trying a really hard to be a good Christian, but you're not seeing the kind of results that you long for. They're washing their empty nets. And Jesus comes to them and he says, I want you to try something new. I want to call you into an adventure. He says, I want you to throw your net. I want you to launch out into the deep. And I want you to launch out for the catch. These young men, they do it. And they catch so many fish that they no longer have any room to hold it in the net. And their boats begin to sink. When this happens, Peter says to Jesus, he says, Jesus, you got to get away from me because I'm an unclean man. And I imagine Jesus just says to him like this. He says, Peter. I love you. I know everything about you, Peter. I, I, I knew you before you were even born. I, I knew that you would be in this dark place, and I want to call you out of this place. See, what I want to tell you today is Jesus knows where you're at. If you came in here and you're broken and you're lonely, Jesus knows. If you came in here and you've got a struggle, Jesus knows and he cares. And he's got a journey that he wants to take you on. And if you will say yes, he will bring you on an amazing adventure. And so what Jesus says to him, he says, I want you to leave your net and I want you to follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to change your life. And he calls these young men out of this existence of boringness into an exciting journey. They get to see the blind receive sight. They begin to get to see the death get healed. They actually even get to see those that are dead raised to life. There's even a point where Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Their scholars believe that this is part of the reason why Peter later denies Jesus because he heals his mother-in-law. We will never know for sure, but, but that's what the scholars say. 
And, I, and if this is being recorded, Tina, I'm not talking about you. I love you. You're awesome. Look forward to seeing you at Thanksgiving. But here, here's what I want to say. This adventure that God calls us on, it begins with a call. Everybody say the call. See, if you're going to launch on a journey, if you're going to live this amazing adventure, it starts with a call. And I want to look at the life of a very famous man and how God called him. He's the patriarch of our faith. He's also the patriarch of the Jewish faith. And the Muslims would also ascribe him as the patriarch of their faith. His name is Abraham. And so if you got your Bible open to Genesis chapter 12, we're going to move through this rather quickly. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. You will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now, I just want to say as a parenthetical side note, if you have adult children living with you, Abraham was 75 years old when he left. There is still hope. Can I get an amen from anybody who's got some adult children still living with them? He hears this call, and he says, yes, God. Now, let me back up a little bit and tell you a bit more of Abraham's story. His story actually begins in Genesis chapter 11, verses 26 through 31. His whole family receives a call because they're from a place called Ur of Chaldees. Everybody say Ur of Chaldees. Ur of the Chaldees was, is a place in, in modern-day Iraq. It's about 150 miles southeast of Babylon, and it was a place that was very metropolitan. It was very advanced for that day. They also worship false gods, and God called them out of that. And so his whole family travels northwestward to a place called Haran. There they settle in Haran because they have a family tragedy. Abraham actually has an older brother by the name of Haran who dies there. But God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12, and God says to Abraham, I still have something great for your life. Even though you've walked through some disappointment, some heartache, some some pain. I still have something great for your life. I am calling you into something amazing. And we notice from Abraham's life four characteristics of the call, which is true in his life and which is also true in our lives. And here's the first thing that we notice is that his call involved risk. It involves some risk. See, God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I want you to leave your family I want you to leave your father's household, and then I want you to notice, he says, I want you to go to the land I'm going to show you. He doesn't even tell him where the land is, but he says, I want you to go. And have you ever noticed that that's how God works in our lives? That God says, I want you to take a risk. See, we live in a, a culture where we want to know everything in advance, but the way God calls us is to take a step of faith. And see, if you were really studying your Bible, you would get into Genesis chapter 15, and God gives them a little bit more clarity. And then if you got into Genesis chapter 17, verse 4, it gets even more clear. And then you find your way all the way to Genesis chapter 22, you say, okay, God's got a story that he's unfolding. But every time Abraham takes a step of faith, it gets clearer along the way. And every time you take a step of faith, it's going to get clearer as well. Because another word for risk is faith. 
It's faith. It's saying, God, I'm going to trust you. Even though I, I don't know exactly, I just know that I got something in my heart, so I'm going to give it a try. And here's what I want to say. You've never taken a major risk in your life if you've never asked the what if question. What, what if it doesn't work? What if, I, what if I say, will you marry me? And she says no, and she puts me on a friend zone on Facebook. Oh, come on, somebody. What if? I remember when I proposed to my wife, I was uh, super nervous. We um, did that whole kind of Christian, like, we're dating, but we're not dating thing. You know what I'm talking about? You guys, some of you are like right there. You're like, hey, we need a DTR, define a relationship, because like you're calling me, but then you don't want to hold my hand when pastor's watching. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, none of you guys want to tell the truth in church, but I'm just saying I've been there, right? So we're in that stage of life, and then we start dating for real. And then we got to the point where I was ready to get engaged. And I remember I, I, I took my mom with me ring shopping. Um, I was doing a whole Dave Ramsey thing. I was completely out of debt. And so uh, we went to the mall and I found this ring for $200. I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is great. I didn't even have to like take anything out of savings. And I remember my mom said, she said, keyboard, put that $200 ring back. Ain't no darn law of mine going to be wearing no $200 ring. I was like, okay, hey, back home. Hold on. I'm grown now, woman. Mom, ma'am, don't pull off your belt, please. Okay, anyway. So. So we find a ring and I, and my heart's beating fast. I'm thinking this is going to work, but what if it doesn't work? And then I remember my mom telling me, she said, you know, Keith, when, when your dad proposed to me, I told him no the first three times. And I said, mom, this is not the time to be telling me that. Like, come on, there's a time and a season for everything. Come on, Ecclesiastes chapter three. Come on, talk to me, mama. But, uh, so I remember I, I, I was preaching at, at, uh, this, at this church that I was working at. And at the end of my sermon, I preached this message called, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday. And uh, at the end of my message, I said, today I want to say goodbye to the single life. And all the ladies were like, oh, my gosh, he's going for mom. Oh, my goodness. And they, you know, they're crying and everything. I was like, y'all got to stop being so emotional. Brother trying to get his proposal, you know. And um, so I get on one knee and I said, Jennifer Marie Turner at the time, will you marry me? And she said, yes. And she said, yes, I think partly because I took a risk. And see, for some of you right now, you're living in the torment of what if? What if I totally trust God and give him my entire life? What if I go to Bible college, but I can't get a job? What if I, I, I really stop playing games and get in a small group and get real and authentic? When you take a risk, God will meet you on the other side of that risk. But here's a second characteristic of a call is that a call requires sacrifice. Sacrifice. God says, you got to leave. You got to take a risk, but you're going to have to leave some other stuff behind. And here's what I want to tell you. True faith is always willing to make a sacrifice. Don't tell me you believe God if you're not willing to give up some things for the one that you love. See, true faith says, God, I trust you enough that I'm willing to walk away knowing that you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will see and provide. See, see, it's when I say, God, I'm going to trust you with this. It's interesting because in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, we meet this young man. He is rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. Can I get an amen from all the single ladies? Come on, somebody. He's rich, young, and he's a ruler. But he's feeling empty on the inside. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what can I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, you know what to do. Live by God's commands. And he says, but I've done all of that since my youth. He says, 
I'm doing the good person thing, but it's still, there's a place of emptiness. There's something inside of me that says there got to be more to life than just coming, standing up and sitting down and trying to be a good person and and throwing a dollar in the plate. There's got to be something more. The Bible says that Jesus looks at him with love and he says, you really want to be mature and complete? Leave all you have, sell all you have and come follow me. The Bible says he went away sad because he wasn't willing to give up to grow up. In John Maxwell's book, 15 Law, Invaluable Laws of Growth, he says, the law of the trade-off says this, in order to grow up, I got to be willing to give up. If you want to grow up, there's some things that God's going to call you to give up. And it looks different in all of our lives, but you know that thing, that thing that you should get rid of, but you keep making excuses for in your heart. That's the thing that when you release it, God's going to begin to flow in your life and you're going to begin to sense his favor and his blessing in your life. Somebody like that. Can I get one more amen? Here's the third aspect of God's call for Abraham's life is that it's future focused. It's future focused. See, a lot of times when we read about these characters in the Bible, we have this tendency to make them larger and better than life. But what we read about Abraham is God says, I want you to leave your father's household, everything that you have, and I want you to follow me. But he takes Lot with him. And if you read Genesis chapter 13, verses 5 through 7, and then you get into chapter 14, verses 8 through 12, what you'd learn about Lot is that Lot does nothing but cause Abraham problems. But he disobeys. Actually, when Abraham disobeys God, or actually one of the things that God tells him to do is to go down to Egypt. He goes down to Egypt. And when he goes down to Egypt, what happens is he says to his his wife, he says, baby, you are so smoking hot that the king is going to want to try to take you into his harem. So what I want you to do is I want you to lie and say that you, that I am your brother. Now I'm from Louisiana, so I don't judge people and stuff, you know, because I understand that kind of thing. But at the same time, you guys, we got some people from Louisiana. You guys ain't like that one. You're like, yeah, I'm married to my cousin too. It's all good. But anyway, um, so he lies. But here's the interesting thing about this is Sarah was 65 years old when they go to Egypt, which is interesting. And I just want to say, if you're 65, you better keep working it, girl, because God can do miracles in your life. Can I get an amen from all the chronologically mature people in the house? You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, he's not a perfect man, but God is more interested in what he can become than what he is right now. Can I tell you, God sees you as what you can become and not just what you are right now. So that's why when God speaks to you, he says, I love you. And there's a great purpose for your life. And he says, God, not me because of who I've been, but God says, watch what I'm going to change you into. God wants to change you, and God gives him seven promises there. He says, number one, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then he just goes down the list. These seven promises, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And he goes down this list of promises until we get to this last promise that he gives him. He says, through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. The last aspect of God's call is that God's call is not just about the called. See, God's call is not just about you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it ain't all about you. See, we live in a world that tells us that we should be the center of our universe. But the problem with that is that is a recipe for disaster, depression, and insecurity. 
See, see, when I live on my life, I'm not tall enough, I'm not fat enough, I'm not short enough, I'm not whatever. And there's always going to be something that you don't fill in the blank. But, but it's not all about you, sweetheart. See, see, the best thing that will help you in your life is when you get free from self-pity. Because self-pity is a destructive emotion. Because it's all about me and what I don't have. But what I want to tell you is God is bigger than your pain. God is bigger than the things that you've been through. God has a purpose in your life. And if you will begin to look at him and you begin to trust him and you will begin to let him begin to reveal that to you, what you're going to realize is, wow, there is a reason that God allowed me to go through everything he has. See, God says, Abraham, I want you to be faithful, but I want you to be faithful because through you, I'm going to bring the Messiah. In Genesis chapter 3, 15, when it looks like all hope is gone, God says to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the seed of the woman. You're going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. That is the very first time that the gospel is preaching. You guys want to learn a big word? Okay, nobody wants to learn a big word. Let's try this. Anybody want to learn a big word? I'm going to teach it to you anyway. The word is, this is called the proto-evangelium. Everybody say that with the proto-evangelium. And what that means is, it's the first time the gospel is preached. Proto, first time the gospel is preached. God says, I'm going to bring my son into the world. He's, He's going to be the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man. He's going to be the seed of the woman, the supernatural birth of Jesus. You're going to strike his heel. That's the crucifixion, but he's going to crush your head. And God says, I'm going to use you, Abraham. I'm going to use you, the broken, the least, the person nobody thought would be used. I'm going to use you. I remember my first day, actually probably my first week of Bible college. We had a guest professor in. And I'll never forget the words that he said. He looked at us and he says, young men, young women, I want you to devote yourself to purity. I want you to become everything that God's called you to be. I want you to study your Bible. I want you to give yourself fully to the work of ministry because for many of you in this room, you're going to be the answer to someone's prayers. Somebody's going to be praying that there would be a youth pastor who would be a person of integrity and you're going to be that youth pastor. Can I tell you that there's somebody praying on your job that somebody would stand up for Christ and somebody would be honorable and somebody would be a person of character and God wants you to be the answer to that problem. There's somebody praying, God, would you give me a small group of people who love and walk with me through the dark seasons of life? And some of you are going to answer God's call and you're going to be the answer to someone's prayer. Louis Giglio in his book, I am not, but I know I am. He says, too often we try to hijack the story of God and turn it into the story of us. God's got the story he's telling through our lives. And we try to turn it into the story of us. And that's a recipe for confusion. Some of you are living confused lives right now because you have gifts and talents in your life that God wants to use for his kingdom. But you're so focused on yourself, your money, your bling bling, all these other things. And it's not coming together because you're Jonah. You're running from God's call. And God says, get into my purpose. Get into the flow of what I'm doing. And your life is going to make sense. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for a moment?